As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far... I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Folks, this may be the beginning of an ongoing series, an ongoing journey. Uh, We're looking at mysterious inventors, their claims, uh, the allegations of conspiracy surrounding them, and maybe taking a crack at what happened happened to a few of them at the end we'd love to hear from you we are only going to get to a few today which is why we'll need to do more episodes in the future uh but let's talk a little bit about invention it's like the human superpower here are the facts humans uh turns out are not the only animals that use tools um it's something that exists in the proper animal kingdom uh otters crows you know elephants for example dolphins All of these creatures, uh, these crafty creatures, have the ability to use parts of their environment um, in ways that assist them in their daily lives uh, in completing tasks. Uh, And oftentimes will spontaneously attempt to make tools to solve a problem in the wild. Think of an elephant perhaps gripping a stick with its uh, with its trunk to you know, gouge out a, a hole of some kind or to, you know, move something around, you know, to Push extend its reach. A, a fence, right? Yeah. That ah, exactly. going around. Yeah. 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 But we've seen octopuses do some weird stuff with stuff, right? For their own purposes that we can't yet really fully understand. But we can, we get an idea like, oh, maybe that was the goal there. But humans are the ones that have an idea like that, right? use a stick for something you go well what if this stick was attached to this other thing well what if that was attached to this you know creating a a sophisticated tool and you know all the way up to creating the phone that you're listening to this on 
or, you know, yeah, I, I think in uh, thematic terms, at some point, it's like, what if I make a stick large enough to smack the planet? Classic human. <laughs> I think there's even, there are multiple Simpsons references to stuff like that. It, it's true, right? Uh, the, the human drive for invention is so ubiquitous and so natural that if you're listening and you are human this evening, then you probably have some sort of invention rattling around in the back of your mind. And it happens so often, we've talked about this in the past, that humans independently will often create similar things near simultaneously. Like how many people invented the typewriter? A bunch of people did. I only know about that because when I went to the Mark Twain house, the uh, guide took particular pleasure and schadenfreude in saying, well, Mark Twain was terrible with money. He inve- he invested in the wrong form of typewriter. Dude, well, some people invented typewriters and built factories to build their to build their own typewriters that never went anywhere, but they still made enough money within that time period, that short time period, to buy an island. Uh, I'm just thinking of one in particular, but uh, it's just, it's crazy to think that Inventing something, if you do it right, even if it's just short-lived, it can be insanely lucrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Even if the invention itself doesn't pan out in its initial application, right? There's still, sometimes there's a heist about it. It depends on the motivations of the inventor. And I mean, look, there's also this thing that I think we continually return to, which is that humans are very good at inventing things and also very, very good at losing things. So something may be invented, some sort of technique like Damascus steel or what have you in the past uh, or Greek fire. And you might forget about it as a civilization for hundreds or thousands of years, and you reinvent it later. Like, I think people just recently figured out how uh, some Greco-Roman communities made really good cement or concrete. Mm-hmm. I remember we made a video on Damascus steel, mm-hmm. uh, and I think, I can't remember if we talked about that form of concrete or not. Uh, we talked about the Baghdad battery, That's for it. sure. Yeah. And, uh, and some of the, to it. Yeah, it's a... Uh, Oh man, it's so cool. Um, These things sometimes get called anachronistic inventions because later researchers will say, well, why does this Antikythera mechanism exist in this time period, et cetera? Mm. Sort of like as though it were unstuck in time or at the very Mm. least uh, a super prescient thinker is behind it. And maybe there wasn't even a proper application for it at the time, but then later it sort of comes back around to a time where its necessity becomes clearer. There's a great Mitchell and Webb sketch about Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, I I don't want to spoil it, but everybody check out that show. (laughs) I mean, it's true, though, too. Like, um, we like to think of inventors as a single person making some great uh, or arriving at some great epiphany. But often they're improving upon previously existing ideas. And for the big inventions, some of the early real world changing and shaking stuff, We're never going to know who invented or discovered it. It's going to be mysterious. It might as well be mythical. Like, who was the first person who looked at fire and was like, I should take that into where I live in a way that doesn't burn everything down? 
Well, it's like a puzzle piece, you know? I mean, you can't necessarily claim to be the first one that ever solved a puzzle, you know, because there's a certain intuition behind it. And the, that can happen uh, among multiple parties that have never met each other before, I, I believe is called parallel thinking. And a lot of these very quintessential kind of intuitive uses of environment, that environment was present everywhere. And all it took was someone to kind of poke the right thing or make the right little stumble and accidentally figure out that you could strike these surfaces together and create sparks. So it's, you're right, it is nearly impossible. And oftentimes when you get into a more specific kind of inventions, it comes, becomes the source of a lot of debate and, and litigation. Mm-hmm. It, it was Brongthar, by the way. She was the first pyromancer. She, she figured out the whole fire thing. In, in her area, right? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about like, you know, to that point, uh, let's say a wildfire sweeps through an area. Like how did humans learn to cook? Did a wildfire sweep through an area? Someone finds a dead animal and they're like, wow, this is pretty crispy, actually. <laughs> and uh, they invent the word crispy and then it's off to the races and now we have Michelin stars. But but uh, it, it's true, too, about the idea of um, where who can be ascribed as the inventor. Like Archimedes' screw, we've talked about a little bit. Uh, this is still a common myth. Archimedes didn't invent that. Or if he did, he wasn't the first person. It's like, who's the first person who figured out, to be quite crass, you should wipe your butt after you defecate? It was that Crapper guy. (laughs) Thomas Crapper. But even that's a debate, right? The idea that he invented the (laughs) toilet because Mm -hmm. it's the better story. And Archimedes invented so much other stuff. He was the biggest name. He gets lumped in with a lot of stuff that he, I mean, not even a diss on him. Like he was just grabbing everyone's ideas. It's just more the way history likes to put a little bow on everything, you know? We love a brand. We love a franchise. Shout out Cosmics. Uh, so he, uh, you know, he probably did dig the concept of the screw, the water moving device, but he certainly wasn't the first person to invent it. That's why we're saying all this to give you the background, folks. Invention itself is an inherently mysterious pursuit. Uh, even if all the research is transparent, the problem itself what you're attempting to solve is a mystery and this becomes dangerous we'll probably get into scientists i hope in a future episode but we've talked about this governments and other organizations have close eyes on research and invention in certain genres and as we're recording right now there are hundreds of people this not hyperbole, hundreds of people in the United States who invented something that Uncle Sam took control of and they cannot legally speak about it for the rest of their lives. Dude, can we, I can I just bring up one thing that we found in the research here? Uh, there's a fascinating story of a scientist who, I think in 1983, moved to Huntsville, Alabama, started working with the university there and was working specifically on anti-gravity technology and this is early like uh, anti-gravity isn't maybe the right word gravitational field manipulation technology in the 80s and she was working on it getting grants publishing papers on the stuff having it has to do with superconductors way back then about how to like just manipulate fields of gravity then she kind of falls off the radar not publishing anything and it's when she gets i think it's a dod contract to uh, begin, she like she left 
the university started her own business to try and monetize this tech that she wanted to build, right? The DOD came in and then nobody has heard from her in a long time. Uh, it's an ongoing mystery that you can check out right now. There's a, you, there's a great YouTube video from Barely Sociable about it from like 2021. But uh, anyway, it's weird because she's alive. She seems to be fine, but she can't talk about what she's doing because now it's for the government. <laughs> And what's the name of the scientist for anyone playing along Lee, at home? Ning Li, N I N G L I. That's quite a long time to be off the grid, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The, the sure last she, yeah. communications were like the early two thousands. I'm sure she talks with her handler on a semi regular basis, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> so we're talking about the, things like the Invention Secrecy Act of 1951. Check out our episode on that. And and the question is. This is something Dr. Lee is probably wondering as well. What happens if you're one of these inventors? Let's say you, because you don't know what your end result will be when you start experimenting. You can aim toward things, but then just like the guy who invented the microwave, you get in situations and then you're on to something totally different. I mean, like you could start working on something innocuous like the Ferrito, which is this brilliant combination, or I, I should say quite ambitious combination of pho broth in the typical burrito. Now, some well, people what? say it can't be done. You got to thicken that thing up, right? Seriously. I got a lot of stuff going on. Otherwise, <laughs> you, got yourself a, you got yourself a soup sandwich. Oh, <laughs> right. I I wanted to save this one. For, I wanted to save Farido for this, but I, because I was thinking the same thing, Noel, a soup sandwich. But uh, but yeah, I'm on to stuff. But what if that accidentally leads, like this innocuous research initially? What if it leads to something that all of a sudden oh, would be world changing? It happens all the time. You know what was it? The chocolate bar melting in the pocket. You mm-hmm. know. That was a total accident uh, that basically led to the invention of the microwave. Yep. And then the microwave is sort of obviously there's a very, you know, home friendly use of that. But then the technology has applications well beyond that, like, um, you know, in terms of radiation, studying radiation and, and how, it, you know, in, uh, how it interacts on the body. And there's all kinds of other uses of microwave, uh, microwave technology, you know, for military applications. Mm-hmm. Percy Spencer, shout out. Ben, look, I'm going to say this really quietly. And I'm so sorry. Fajita. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Good. It's this? a brave new Fa- world. <laughs> There's Fa- no judgment. In, there's no judgment in brainstorming. Yeah. Uh, 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 fuck. Quesadilla? All right. Well, Quesadilla. <laughs> we've got we've got ways to go, you know. But what happens if you are one of those inventors? Uh, we tell you. Again, without hyperbole, fellow conspiracy realist, this is but one of what will probably be a recurring series because, as it turns out, there are many, many inventors who have a lot of mystery surrounding their invention, and some of them may have died as a result. Here's where it gets crazy. Just cars, even just in the world of cars. It's nuts. Like, when you think of the Someone who invents, you know, the catalytic converter, or when you think of, you know, the guys working at uh, Mercedes Benz and stuff, you don't usually think of a lot of intrigue, right? Like, what? What if? What if it could have twelve V's? (laughs) Arrest this man! 
That's too many V's. Uh, you know, we talked like Stanley Meyer um, allegedly invented a water fuel cell uh, and he it's been dismissed as a perpetual motion machine. But of course, there are tons and tons of different theories about how that went down. Uh, there's a guy, Tom Ogle, who we'll talk about, uh, who unfortunately... Well, we'll get to him, but maybe we start just for an example of the case we're laying out for these future episodes. Maybe we start with uh, Rudolph Diesel. You guys can tell I've got a little bit of a horse in the race or a little bit of piston in the machine because my name for today's recording is hashtag justice for diesel. Which is kind of very techno kind of a banger of a name. I love that. So what's the deal with uh, diesel, uh, this guy who invented the diesel engine and why is his case so kind of shrouded in mystery? It's not as though he invented a weapon of mass destruction. I mean, you know, diesel is a fuel. It is something that promotes, uh, you know, commerce and productivity. Obviously, a lot of large vehicles that, uh, that, that, you know, help ship and receive all of the goods and stuff that we rely on, um, that they use diesel. Uh, so that's a big deal. So he's definitely kind of a captain of industry in that respect. It's not as though he invented some sort of uh, world-annihilating, you know, bomb of some kind. Um, so his name, Rudolf Christian Karl diesel which isn't the longest name we're going to have in this evening's episode no not by a long um, shot yeah not by a long shot and i look forward to the the next one uh which is one for the books but he was born on march 18th 1858 in paris uh he wanted to be an engineer uh since he was a very small german boy living in paris yeah and uh what so that's what when, when was he born in uh, 1858 1858 and then the first engine officially is like 30, a little less than 30 years later. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's around 30. So like he's in his mid 30s by the 1890s and he's super deep into fuel and engine efficiency experiments in particular. And he has a couple of patents and he's got one in 1892, I think. And then he goes back and corrects himself because he's figuring out his theory. He's cooking live. And he doesn't really invent the concept of this engine, but he makes it viable, right? He vastly improves it such that it works. And that's why they call it the diesel engine. Now you can see the first diesel engine that was ever successfully tested over in Munich today. It a burst of creativity. It's called the motor 250-400. He does that in 1897. So like to your point, Matt, yeah, he's in, he's in his thirties. He's still a, a young lad. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, well, I guess what I mean is the, the first car engine that was ever mm -hmm, developed mm -hmm. by Mercedes Benz is 1885. So mm -hmm. it's interesting that he's, I'm I'm certain he's aware of that as a thing, right? The right. news of that invention has come across. So he's in my, I do you guys ever think of the word tinkerer? Like you mm -hmm. you would take an engine like that and you just make small adjustments, see what happens. And then okay, well what if this occurred? What if we switch this piece out, right? And then mm -hmm. add another piece in between these two major functioning parts. Uh, it's just really interesting. And that's the way I may be picturing this, this person. I think you're absolutely right, dude, because we also, we have to remember that in this context, yes, motors exist, steamships, steam engines exist. They're all woefully cartoonishly inefficient, especially compared to modern standards. So the diesel engine is revolutionary and it clearly anybody worth their salt 
in any number of industries, they clearly know this can apply to them and it could change the game. And so by 1912, there are more than 70,000 diesel engines all around the world. Uh, mostly they're working for in generators or they're working in factories. Business is super good. And if you are anybody but Rudolph Diesel and you hear about his life and his invention, you think this guy is basically uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, or like Dean Kamen level. You think he is uh, super, super duper wealthy. You think that he has no no issues other than making time to sign all those autographs and checks. But uh, wait, are we saying he yeah. wasn't? He was probably crazy wealthy, right? Dun, 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 Okay, dun, all right, dun, all right. <laughs> uh, so let's fast forward. It's 1913, September 29th. Our boy Rudy is going on a trip. That's right. Uh, Diesel gets on a ship, uh, the SS Dresden in Antwerp, um, uh, on his way to meet a group called the Consolidated Diesel Manufacturing Company uh, in London. And while he's kicking it with these folks, um, they attend a groundbreaking of a new diesel engine plant. Uh, and he has another little uh, errand to run while he's out there. Diesel is going to meet with members, uh, representatives of the British Navy and talk about installing his engines in their submarines. Oh, man. Hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> so, so this is fascinating to me. Where the um, the manufacturing plant we're talking about here is actually building the engines themselves, right? This isn't a plant that is using the engines; it's creating them, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so, they have an annual meeting, so that meeting it. is there's nothing sketchy about that. That's just good PR. Yeah, but still, he's got a huge manufacturing engine that's building engines right and then uh he's meeting with the navy which could be not only lucrative but like you just think about that even that just that first handshake deal like well let's develop let's let's work together we like you diesel let's see what you can do for our subs <laughs> mm -hmm. we like the uh we like the cut of your jib we like the pump of your fuel mm -hmm. uh which sounds weirdly like innuendo and maybe there was some at play but he uh so like, like you said, he's he's talking with the he's talking with this private industry uh, conglomerate, basically, and they are going or consortium, I should say. And this is going to be really good for business. Um, this is also really good PR for them. But he has he as a guy with German roots is also very well aware that German submarines are already using diesel engines. And so uh, this second meeting is maybe a little less publicized. That's not the big headline grabber. Uh, he he hangs out with some folks who are on the boat with him. And the way that they put it in the New York Times, which reports on this, uh, he has he's he's just out there. They're in a good mood. They're like chain smoking and talking whatever the early 1900s version of trash talk is. And uh, or small talk, I guess. And then round about 10 p.m., uh, one of the guys says, well, OK, well, let's let's knock it off. You know, let's let's go to bed. And so he agrees uh, one of his last statement or he agrees he goes into his cabin and then he comes back out and he hasn't changed his clothing or anything. He shakes hands with his compatriots. He tells one of them, all right, I'll see you in the morning. 
uh, and he sets a wake-up call with the crew for 6.15 a.m. What do you say we pause for a word from our sponsor? What? what You're here. What? what? Okay. It's a cliffhanger. It's a cliffhanger. Right. Matt, relax. I gotta Hope, know. Hopefully the ad's for a cruise line. <laughs> hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we've returned. So let's say, fast forward, it's 6.15 a.m. He gets the wake-up call. What happens? Well, uh, in the morning, his cabin is empty and his bed has actually not been slept in at all. Uh, his bed, well, not bed clothes, I guess bed clothes are sheets, but his nighty, his, his night shirt, uh, his bedtime uh, attire were neatly folded and laid out. Um, and his watch had been left where it could be seen from the bed. Uh, not to mention that his hat 
and overcoat are also neatly stowed um, beneath uh, the after deck railing, which I guess is sort of a kind of like a, well, you know, like in a hotel room where you might have like a little closet built into the wall. So hold, hold up. So he, he is publicly saying good night to people at like 10 p.m. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. See you. Bye. Going in. Uh, nobody sees him again. That's mm-hmm. it. He clearly got ready for bed. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or somebody made it to look as though he got ready for bed. Hmm. Right. Yeah. The His disappearance throws the world for a loop. It's not the kind of news they can crack down on because his upcoming uh, his his upcoming event at that factory was already in the public sphere. So we see even without the world of social media, we see this proliferation of conspiracy theories almost immediately. Uh, People say, this guy was super rich. You know, he had every reason to live. He invented a world-changing engine. But after his disappearance, as investigations continued, new details revealed that his public image was not his real life. Instead, the guy had uh, some bad health, we don't know the degree of it. And perhaps more importantly, he was in serious debt, which weirdly oh. enough happens to a lot of inventors. So what did he, so we know that he made a lot of money at some point and was making a lot of money. I guess that money was being funneled into places that were then losing money. That's the idea. Unclear, quite possibly. Uh, it gets Sketchier, though, Uh, curiouser and curiouser, his spouse, Martha Diesel, shortly after his disappearance, uh, she opens a bag he gave her. Now, everybody put yourself in this situation. Imagine what you would do. Your partner is going on a big trip and your partner kind of controls the finances, right? Which would be common uh, for marriages of that time in that part of the world. And then he says, hey, I'm going to leave this bag with you. And then you say, okay, you know, my dear husband, um, what's in the bag? What should I do with it? And he goes, well, don't open it until like next week. And then she goes, what? And this is just before? "Mm -hmm, Just before he leaves. Oh, dude, dude, this is pseudocide, right? Come on. (laughs) So she, uh, I love it. So she, uh, she waits. She gets the news of his disappearance. She says, all right, I'm going to open the bag. It is a bag full of cash. <laughs> it's of a, course. It's like a, we don't know if it was a duffel bag. It probably wasn't, but it was, it was a big bag. It was full of like 20 grand in German marks, which is over $120,000 today. And then that wasn't all that was in the bag. Well, wait a minute. German marks, I guess it depends on the year, right? Because mm-hmm. German yeah. marks have fluctuated. A little bit. A bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, sorry. This is my brain thinking about that. Mm. <laughs> this is, you know, this is still uh, before the times of their great fluctuations. Yeah. That would come. So, And Ben, you said the bank accounts were completely empty. That's the other thing that was in the bag. Like just, not just statements? Cash. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's just nothing sta- in there. It's all in this bag. <laughs> Right, that they basically have pennies in their bank accounts. And then fast forward, you know, the world is still asking what the heck happened to Rudolph. And then on October 10th, officially, we arrive at an answer. 
a Belgian sailor um, aboard a North Sea steamship spots a body in the water, just drifting. Uh, and upon further investigation, it turned out that the body belonged to Rudolph Diesel. What? Officially. Right. Officially. I don't know. I think it's a fishy explanation. But uh, yeah, so they say they found his body. They verified his body. Um, and it looked as though he somehow went over over the side of the boat and then drowned and his corpse floated for multiple days until it was discovered. But what oh. happened? Yeah. Do we know do we know who he owed money to with his investments at all? Or is that all still kind of a mystery? Well, there are there are um competing theories about this and they get a little wilder and wilder the further out we go. Like you'll you'll see people saying that he had serious debts with titans of industry like uh the Rockefellers or hmm. what have you, or had fallen on the bad side of oil interest, but um but it's still kind of unclear. Um, most people would argue at this time and even now that he took his own life, that he committed suicide, purposely jumped overboard because of either his dire health or his dire finances. Got it. Jeez. I guess just if you did have a list of people that he owed money to, you'd have a list of people with motive to take him out. Yeah, right. And that list should be something that you could find right? mm -hmm. if this if this is not suicide if this is indeed homicide and the problem is that with those lists with that idea of documentation mm -hmm. if someone commits suicide or pseudocide and they they have a partner that will still be legally and biologically alive then usually they have come some kind of life insurance grift going on mm -hmm. right and it doesn't appear that he made any untoward kind of uh new life insurance accounts you know like the day he leaves on the dresden so there are a lot of theories that argue no 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 this guy didn't take his own life he certainly wasn't planning to uh he was murdered and it makes i gotta be honest not to be credulous but it makes more and more sense uh or at least there's i'm still on the fence about it you guys but the way you look into it, he wasn't he wasn't super happy with how his invention was being used because very powerful forces wanted it. What are you going to tell the German government? No, I have a problem with what you're doing. They don't care. They've already, they've already got the U-boats. So at this point, uh, the murder theory um, posits that someone, perhaps a German operative, may have engineered his death in order to look like a suicide. We know that's incredibly common. You know, I mean, just you put the gun in the person's hand, wipe off your prints, et cetera, or feed them an overdose of their own medication, something like that. There's, there's any number of ways this can be done. All of this in the hopes of preventing him from spreading his uh, world changing technology to the enemy. Yeah, uh, the, the, the British. Um, uh, it's fascinating to imagine that the same technology gets used on two sides of like warring of two warring factions, right? Um, same engine in the tanks that are firing at each other. Really weird stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shout out military industrial complex, right? <laughs> yeah. And in so. the end, it's the manufacturers that are like, woohoo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
especially if you're the only entity manufacturing a specific thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, prices have gone up, man. Let's just let's you and I hope they don't go up again. Now go ahead and sign. <laughs> you're gonna need more ammunition, right? Like, ah, <laughs> oh, we got just several pallets waiting for you. Go ahead. <laughs> Exactly. Right. And what happened to that pallet of a billion dollars in Iraq? Straight cash. No one it knows. fell from an airplane with a parachute and then it got squirreled away somewhere. Fiat currency is such an amazing invention. Morality aside. But uh, but right. So like to what you're saying, Noel, the idea then would be that German operatives got on the boat and uh, nipped this stuff in the bud before he could meet with British forces. It doesn't stop there though. Cause some people say, yeah, he was murdered, but it wasn't German intelligence or some proxy of theirs. Instead, it was a tentacle of big oil interest. And that's where the different like tycoons of industry come into play. The argument is that a few years before he disappeared, he said, you know what else about the diesel engine? It can run on peanut oil, my friends. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, my son was just learning. Uh, who is the inventor uh, with all the peanuts here in um, George Washington Carver? George Washington Carver. He just did a whole huge lesson on all of the other peanut inventions and peanut related things that George Washington Carver worked on. Peanut butter is the only thing that he didn't invent. He invented there. It was a list of like 400 different things, including peanut oil, like specifically peanut oil that could be con- combustible and used in an engine like this. Biodiesel. Crazy. Right? Sorry. <laughs> it's it's amazing, though. I and I feel like Carver would be great for ridiculous history, too, maybe. Um, so there's another theory on this. So we've got suicide and we've got homicide. The other theory certainly more tasty. This has the umami of intrigue. Uh, what if Diesel didn't die at all? What if he did commit pseudocide? To your point, Matt, what if he faked his death with help from the British and emigrated to Canada or Australia, some other uh, Anglophone-friendly country, and spent the rest of his life in obscurity designing submarine engines for the fight against Germany in World War One, Dude. I mean, I wouldn't put that past, like, the intelligence forces, right? Back then, was the OSS even around pre-World War One? Was there any, there must have been something like that, some kind of, I don't know, maybe, maybe not the U.S., maybe it was British. Yeah, I mean, you have to be right, even if it was just a couple of, you know, like, friends of queen and country kind of ad hoc thing, of course, those those kind of operations are as old as the first time more than two tribes met to each uh, met together, right? Oh yeah, the old paperclip goes way back. Mm-hmm. And there was this, you know, there there would later be these patterns of abducting uh, scientists and war criminals or aiding them in some kind of escape and keeping it out of the public sphere if the news would be bad optics. I mean, Washington Post, though, points out that pseudocide, as as we've discussed, it asked a lot. It asked a lot of error from investigators, and it asked a supreme amount of 
uh, OPSEC from the people who were faking their deaths. So they say there are no administrative records, uh, no paper trail at all for this possible life in Canada or some kind of WITSEC thing in Australia. There, There's no deathbed confession from someone who might have spirited him away. No fellow engineers who would have ever worked on anything have said, you know, they they told us his name was John Doe, but he looked a lot like this Rudolph Diesel guy. There's just no, there's no hard evidence for for this idea, as interesting as it is, and it'll probably be a mystery for the time being. Mm-hmm. And and again, like we 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 were talking about this the other day with Glenn Miller, um, how mm. you know this guy at the peak of his game, who had just decided to essentially invent the USO and was going overseas to you know bring cheer and joy to the troops. Um, what motive would he have had to commit pseudocide? You know, uh, I think the more likely um, scenario is that something went wrong, you know, and, and that his plane was accidentally shot down or was uh, the, the, you know, the victim of a, of a malfunction of some kind. And I think that similarly the case here. Yeah, but what if he never got into bed? That is weird. what did he do? Right. Did he go out for a smoke? Like- a night walk. A night walk. Yeah. I mean, deck on the deck. He did have insomnia, but then also, you know, there are no like cameras. There's no strict visitor log. So, what if someone who happens to be a passenger or happens to be on the crew stops by, like, just after the other folks go and knocks on the door? Let me rephrase. Pseudocide to me in this case makes zero sense. What does make a lot of sense is that this guy could have been a target. Because of the power of his invention and what it might mean if he took it global. Mm. Mm. I, I'm, I'm just going to keep in my mind the thought that we discussed where he gets taken somewhere else for some kind of military might effort. Because to me, weirdly enough, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> right, right. And also it's, it's a nicer ending. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like when my parents told me our first dog went camping, right? So maybe that's what happened. Maybe maybe Diesel went uh, went camping in Canada. But uh, if you want to learn more about this case, which remains unsolved, by the way, uh, check out the book "The Mysterious Case of Rudolph Diesel" by Douglas Brunt. Without spoiling it, uh, he does not agree with the suicide conclusion of the authorities and it's a heck of a read i think they just made a deal for it to be adapted into maybe a film or um, a mini series or something but keep an keep an eye out for that and uh most importantly please know folks he is not diesel is not the only mysterious inventor we're discussing today we're going to take a pause for a word from our sponsors, maybe a carburetor company, and then go to the story of Tom Ogle. Uh, Noel, this is the name you were super excited about. So when we get back, uh, can we lean on your, your German pronunciation to nail this one? I will deign to do you proud. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. 
It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we've returned. And uh, Ben, thank you so much for this opportunity to flex my young German boy uh, pronunciation chops. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about Tom Ogle, uh, born... Thomas Hans Werner Peter Wolfgang Dingelstadt Ogle. Okay, Dingelstadt though. Come that on, makes, that, that sounds made up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard there, there's this amazing uh, uh, Monty Python sketch? Mm-hmm. It's uh, about this composer whose name was too long. It was so long that, he, that it was just like absurd, and, the, and the, the joke becomes every time they say his name, they say the whole name, and it's uh, Johann Gambleputty Devon Ausven Splenden Schlittisch Crossbender Freidingle Dangle Dongle Dongle <laughs> Burstein Von Nacker Thrasher Applebanger Horowitz Tickle and Sick Grander Naughty Speltinker Grandlich Grumblemeyer Spettwasser Kultlich Himmelbissen Bahnwagen Gut Band, bitter ein Nürnberger Bratwurzel, gespurten mit Wacher, Luber, Hundswatt, Gumberber, Schondanker, Kolbenfleisch, Mitter von Ulm. 
Because he's he's from Ulm. I'm sorry, ah, I, I, I had to do yeah, it. It's, I think honestly that was maybe a, a joke based on this guy's name. Granted, there are many other absurdly long names in the German canon. But yes, Thomas Hans Werner Peter Wolfgang Dingelstadt Ogle was born in 1953. Um, truly, his full name, like Diesel, he invented a new kind of improvement for engines. Yeah, you'll hear it called the Ogle or Ogle engine, but what he really claimed to have invented was a modified alternative to the typical carburetor. And he was taking the carburetor out and using a a series of things to kind of replace it. And in that replacement, he was saying he drastically improved fuel economy. And what's more, he didn't have to build a special car to do it. He could do this with pretty much any car on the road that had a carburetor. And if uh, if you let him tinker, to that earlier point, with your otherwise normal car, all of a sudden you would get 200 miles per gallon of fuel. Oh, don't do that. Don't Look, do that. That sounds great, y'all. But uh, the oil folks are going to perk their ears up real quick if they hear that. Uh, at least, was it in secret and nobody knew about this, at least? Oh, no, they knew. They knew for sure because he got, uh, uh, thank you for that setup, Matt. They got, he got a lot of uh, media coverage in 1979 or 1977. And uh, it makes me, to your example, it makes me think that somewhere in the board of Saudi Aramco, a guy stood up and said, there's a disturbance. You know, yeah, we cannot allow this. Mm -hmm. And in 1977, he's he's based in El Paso. He's a very young dude. 1977, he drives to from El Paso to another town in New Mexico called Deming, and then he drives back, and he only uses two gallons of gas. No, allegedly. And you can read like plenty of media coverage about this. Uh, he was open with it. And if any of that's true, it's a game changer. It would rock the auto and energy industries. People would need far less fuel. Uh, people would probably also have, I don't know, the parts manufacturers, the car manufacturers, they would all be scrambling for this. And the guy is just 24 years old at this time. This is crazy. I can't believe like a hundred, a hundred miles per gallon average, you know, to, is this to make accurate? that drive. That's insane. That's his claim. Yeah. Okay. okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but he had applied for a patent, uh, and while he was waiting for that patent to be approved, he continued to tinker and refine, you know, and test the system. Um, uh, you know, kind of a gaggle of lawyers started to work on an agreement between Ogle and the folks backing him um, regarding royalties if the device were to kind of hit the market. And we are getting a lot of this information from a really fantastic piece by Cynthia Cuevas, uh, Isabel Hernandez, and Ruth Vise at EPCC Library research guides oh yeah yeah this was solid work on their part and a great way if you want to if you want to get a sense of just the blow by blow of media coverage uh this is a pretty comprehensive resource so do check it out i'm, I'm pretty impressed with the uh epcc right now so Dude, yeah. uh, ben can i just stick on this original yeah. article from the el paso times that you linked us yeah, to? yeah 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 this, this is it's just blowing my mind a little bit um so there's an article that was written in 1977 about this by a man named John Dussard, I think is how mm-hmm, you'd say his name. Mm-hmm. This is about that trip we just discussed, right? Where he got crazy gas mileage, appeared to show a journalist, right? Um, it is, the vehicle is a Ford Galaxy that got around, 
gosh, the gas mileage was about 12 miles per gallon in that vehicle. And he, he 10X'd that thing, if not like 10.4X'd it. Um, like that, I just, just to really understand if this is true, how intense of a shift that could have been if that engine, his system were made to go wide in any way. And officially, uh, different reporters had examined this engineers in the area had talked with them. They said they thought it was legit. It wasn't a hoax, but as far as we know, there were no scientifically rigorous studies mm-hmm. of this, of this Ogle engine. And that becomes a problem later because look, the guy's, very, very smart. He's clearly brilliant. He's also very young and he's not making this in a vacuum. He's a gearhead who likes playing with stuff. And I think we can all, we've all experienced some form of that, you know, phenomenon. Uh, But he is creating this in the middle of the U.S. energy crisis. uh, And he gets a lot of interest from some high muckety mucks, at least one oil company to auto manufacturers. At one point, even the U.S. Air Force started poking around because, you know, fuel is expensive. Yeah. So on June 22nd of 1978, the El Paso Herald Post uh, had this to say, Ogle sells rights to a gas-saving device. And the article stated that uh, the AFS, uh, Advanced Fuel Systems Incorporated, rather, uh, which is a company in Washington State, had bought the manufacturing and marketing rights to the technology. Um, And the contract um, specified that Ogle would receive an unspecified amount uh, of advance money, 100,000 shares of Stock in the company, six percent royalty on sales of each device, a monthly Whoa. salary, <laughs> and the right to visit AFS at will. Sounds yeah. pretty. Sounds pretty solid. That's some island buying money, M- right most there. Folks boys. are lucky to get one of those. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah, six percent on sale of every single device. It sounds made up, frankly, guys. That yeah, sounds like no one would. That's, that's a, a bad deal, deal for every for the people actually making the stuff. You know what well, I mean? That's speaking of segues, uh, that might be more indicative of AFS because two months after they made this deal, which we, all three of us just agreed is not very smart on their part. The SEC came calling and they said, hey, advanced fuel systems, you guys make bad deals. As a matter of fact, you've done a criminally bad job. Uh, You have violated federal security laws. And then Ogle is also, he's playing the field. He's got other stuff going on. He has created, he's taken some money and he's created the first of what he hopes will be a chain of, you call them computerized diagnostic centers. And before the year was out, he closed down the, that one store he opened. He disconnected his phone. Like Ning Li, he became increasingly more difficult to find. Uh, and this weirded some people out, especially the IRS, because in May of 1980, they came calling specifically for him. Tommy Boy, they said, you owe us more than 20 grand in taxes. Because just like Rudolph Diesel, this dude's public image was not the same as the actual guy. Uh, He was living the high life, young, you know, young, mid-20s, dumb amounts of money or people offering you dumb amounts of money. He's got a customized limousine he rides everywhere in. Well, so he did get 
that money with that deal with AFS. So he got whatever, at least part of that money, even after they came after AFS, right? Yeah, he got some money for sure. He had okay. more than 50 financial backers, distinct Jeez. people and companies um, over time. And he started living kind of wild, you guys, in 1981 in April. He got a gut shot <laughs> outside of a bar in Northeast Jeez. El Paso. He survived. Uh, no one was ever charged, but for some reason, while he was in the hospital, uh, the El Paso PD had officers guarding his, uh, his room. Right. Usually happens. Well, yeah, but you know, I think a person of note uh, who's, who's uh, under threat perhaps, or, uh, you know, maybe they just decided he he deserved a security detail. Well, let's see, but here's the other thing. If you're an onlooker, right? Maybe they're guarding his room because he was just involved in a shooting. So maybe they're not necessarily even guarding him. Maybe they're like, they're in an investigative. They're like purpose? in a stakeout, you know, sure. trying to well, find the perp. <laughs> or maybe it's something that the three of us didn't know. Maybe you can just always request an armed guard when you go to the hospital. That'd be cool. <laughs> or maybe the doc in the box. Like, yeah, well, I have a cold. I, mean, I need to get. And then the first Godfather movie, when uh, there's an attempt made on the Godfather Vito Corleone's life and he's in the hospital, there's, you know, cops uh, watching his door, but they end up being crooked cops and they leave uh, so that the bad man can come and, and kill him. And it's only his son, Michael, that figures out the plot and, and gets him out of there and moves him to a different uh, a different suite. I'm just in love with the idea of like going anywhere, like a hospital or a dock in the box and being able to say, hey, I'm here. I've got a cold. Uh, I need an armed guard. Great. For this Three, appointment. Actually. Three. Yeah. <laughs> Check my insurance. Make sure those officers are in network. <laughs> so, uh, so there's this other stuff. He apparently had run-ins with the law, um, like reckless driving arrest, uh, possession of an illegal firearm. The, these are weird things. He also sued a guy because he had lost a bunch of pool games to the dude. And mm. he said the dude forced him to sign away like 22% of his shares in some like in some weird gambling debt thing. Well, guys, come on. We, we know what the saying is. We know how it goes. Mm. More money, <laughs> more issues. Is that how it goes? More money, more so, problems. Oh, You're close. Oh. You're close. Very close. But there's 99 of them, that mm-hmm. problems at least, that exist. But there's one that isn't. <laughs> right. And uh, for Jay-Z and for Tom. Uh, and his lawyer said something interesting in one of these many legal kerfuffles. He says, look, my client is, I'm paraphrasing here, he's a 26-year-old kid. He is a target for anyone. Uh, he is scared by the local, I guess, CD gambling figures of El Paso. And these people are getting him drunk and taking advantage of him and just fleecing him left and right. So the, the attorney is painting him as a victim, not some kind of like grifting con artist who's living too high on the hog. Shout out to the Dale Carr episode, by the way, of Car Stuff. Oh, that's a weird one. What is that? Wait, what is that? I don't know that. It's another kind of invention that was killed, right? Or, or essentially, it was just. Or wait, what was the deal? Was it kind of a grift in and of itself? It was a the grift, car, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a overpromise, mega underdeliver kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. Okay, right? 
Got it. And it just got weirder and weirder. It's a three-part episode. Hopefully it holds up. But uh, in we don't know what really happened with Tom. We don't know what his real situation was, and we probably won't know that, at least not publicly for now, because on August 19th, 1981, he's 26 years old. He dies. He is found, his body is found. He collapses at a friend's house, but I think his body is found in the desert. And authorities say, okay, he overdosed. He overdosed on alcohol and a tranquilizer called Darvon. You guys, I don't know too much about drugs, but I, I assume that would be like a common, I guess, recreational drug of the time. I guess so. Um, I, I imagine it would be akin to something like Xanax or like a like a a, a sedative. You know, uh, I don't know that it's a thing that is prescribed anymore, and it's probably really, really powerful because drugs back in those days were, and uh, they were they could you know be very, very dangerous. It looks like it's an opioid. Is that right? Let's see. Yeah, it's a narcotic. Wow. Xanodyne Pharmaceuticals. It, yeah, wow, that's a fun name. Yeah, that's very. I, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Let's see, dosage. But what is the? What is it prescribed for? Uh, looks like it treats mild to moderate pain. It's a painkiller. Then, okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah, for some reason in my mind, I, you know, where I think I first heard about this drug. There's a, a Chuck Palahniuk book called uh, Invisible Monsters that involves naming of a lot of pills, <laughs> and that one I think is in there at some point. Okay. Yeah. Well, either way, don't mix uh, those no. kinds of drugs or substances, folks. Uh, just like with the case of Rudolph Diesel, there are these competing theories that spring up overnight, you know, like the old myth about soldiers and dragon's teeth. Pathologists say, okay, we know it's an overdose. However, based on our evidence, we cannot rule whether this was accidental or whether this was indicative of suicide. And he, Tom's friends and the lawyer that he's forged a relationship of some sort with at this point, because <laughs> they're always hanging out because this guy's always up to hijinks. Uh, everybody who knows the guy says, look, did he like to party? Sure. But he would never have taken 20 Darvon pills in addition to raging. And I, you know, I'm not in that world, but it seems like swallowing 20 pills of anything is a lot if the pills work, right? Yeah. Like, even seriously, even even what? What's the most common? Like uh, if you're going to take ibuprofen or aspirin, aspirin yeah. yeah. 20 is too many. 20 is too many. They should re redesign the dosage, right? So so now people are saying did someone have a motive? To the point about diesel, did someone do something to take this guy out? As we mentioned, he had more than 50 different financial backers who were left to fight over his estate. And then uh, as, as the time wends on, his invention fades from national interest and his story joins the ranks of other tech suppression tales. Uh, there's a documentary about this um, in late uh, 2000s, 2010. Uh, called Gashole that highlights his invention as well as several other, um, let's call them controversial inventions in the world of petroleum and autom automotives. I don't know, man. I watched it. They they have a horse in the race too. They they are strongly of the opinion that 
large oil and manufacturing interests shut down inventions that might threaten their current status quo. Like the old EV1? Like the old EV1 bought up and, oh, you could only lease them, right? And then at the end of the lease, uh, the company took them all and destroyed them. Woohoo! Electric cars in the early 2000s. And uh, I believe the first car ever made was also electric. That's right, yeah. Or electric carriages, excuse me. They weren't there you go. Cars, yeah. That's, uh, by the way, that first motor in Mercedes-Benz motor. I think that motor was invented the same year the Piedmont Driving Club was founded. Oh, nice. Isn't that fun? As a celebration? Yeah. Right? They, they didn't need the horses and carriages anymore. They had Mercedes-Benz engines. And it's been that way ever since. I love the coincidence game. That's like saying, it's like, oh, Tom Ogle died. Just a few days after I was born. Coincidence? <laughs> yeah, no, no coincidence there. I just, sorry, my brain. I, it's fascinating, though, how many things occur uh, in step in history. You know, I also found a list. I was thinking we might check this out off air, but I found a cool list from Popular Mechanics about the quote unquote greatest inventions per year. So you can find the biggest invention of the year of your birth. Pretty neat stuff. Uh, worth checking out. But this is not the end of the story. Like I, I can't believe we, we're we toward the end of an episode. We've talked about two, just two inventors, both of whom died under mysterious circumstances, both of, in, both of whom, one of whom invented something that definitely changed the world, and one of whom invented something that he certainly thought could change the world. Or would that's have. Kind of, or would have. Would have. Uh, it's... <sighs> So it's kind of a downer because those guys both died. Do we want to? Do we want to maybe tease someone we're going to explore in a, a future ver- a future uh, installment of this episode? Someone who's yeah, not I think dead? this one was. Oh yeah, I think this one was pretty near and dear to Matt's heart. Matt, you want to bless us with a tease? Well, if this is an inventor slash just all around pretty brilliant person that we've been following for several years now. We've mentioned him a couple times. Yeah. Um, you may have heard his name, Dean Kamen, uh, I guess connected to the invention of this thing called a Segway, that weird little mm. people mover thing. Mm-hmm. But before he did that, uh, he invented other stuff too, right? Yeah, he actually invented like a bionic arm, very ahead of its time. It was called the Luke arm, like uh, named after Luke Skywalker, um, who, you know, obviously, spoiler alert, gets his arm chopped off by Darth Vader and then has a bionic arm uh, moving forward in the series. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the guy is a prolific inventor of things, mostly in the like biomedical field. So um, stuff associated with auto injector systems uh, for, you know, people with diabetes and all Ooh. kinds of other uh, different ailments like that. Pretty prolific stuff. He's got a bunch of different companies. Uh, but the reason why I think we wanted to talk about him and we'll talk about him again in the future is because he, like Diesel, like anybody who makes an important invention, gains the interest of militaries and governments. And lately, I think since 2016, 2017, he's been working on something new. Yeah, we're talking about this off air. He's been quite a a busy, busy guy. He reminds me a lot of uh, Buckminster Fuller, kind of a, a 
new age renaissance man mm-hmm. bit of a futurist as well man. right mm-hmm. yeah quite quite so and uh he got an 80 million dollar grant from the dod the department of defense in 2017 and he's working on something he calls army but it's spelled with an i what mm-hmm. does that mean man it's the advanced regenerative manufacturing institute what what uh it's 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 a facility that's going to be built on a place that's going to be fairly isolated. It's a hundred thousand square meters in uh, at a place called the Milliard in Manchester, maybe New York. Uh, it seems really interesting because, at least according to ABC News reporting in gosh November first of this year, they're saying this place and the partners there at that facility, whatever it becomes, are going to quote grow cells, tissue, and bones. And even manufacture replacement human organs. Guys, it feels like a direct connection to some of our earlier episodes on the future of humanity and living forever and all of that stuff. And if the DOD is paying uh-huh. for it, yeah. it feels like a soldier enhancement situation. Literal I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, by the way. Manchester's in New uh, Hampshire. New, right. uh, well, uh, Massachusetts. There's also one in Massachusetts. So we'll have to get to the bottom of that part. But oh, yeah. Uh, I just need to go back to the full article. Sorry about that. Yeah. It's, it's no, a place this, called Manchester. Great. great. Except no substitutions. And this gives us an excuse to go on the road. And, of course, we know these kinds of grants don't result in just single, single issue missions, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking again at at innovations that lead to applications of which we may not be fully aware. Even even Cayman might still have some questions about how these things can be applied, but fascinating, fascinating stuff. And so good to end with a mysterious inventor who wasn't possibly murdered by powerful yeah. forces. Oh, he's doing fine. He is isolated. Dude has his own private island. It's mm-hmm. called North Dumpling Island. And, uh, well, he didn't successfully secede from the U.S., but he he has an official document signed by George H.W. Bush, I think. Uh, Oh, and also in his uh, own little island nation that he has his own currency for, like, pretty, it's Ben Buck City right there. And uh, (laughs) he, the founders of Ben and Jerry's ice cream are officially the, quote, ministers of ice cream of his island nation, which is friggin' dope. Ty, I'm picturing like a uh, Walter Noble figure from Fringe. Yeah. You know, how that guy was always about big scientific breakthroughs and then snacks. Lots of ice cream. I get it, man. <laughs> and we we're gonna we're gonna call it a day, but uh, we want your help, folks. We'd love to hear more about inventors you would like us to cover in the future. These uh, this is an iterative episode, so it will recur. We also want to hear your thoughts on what could have happened to Diesel, what could have happened to Tom, what is Dean Kamen up to over on Dumpling Island? Uh, <laughs> let us know. Is there something more to the story? Things that remain the stuff they don't want you to know in the modern day. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. You can find us at the handle Conspiracy Stuff, uh, where we exist on X, YouTube, and Facebook. You can find us at the handle Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, we have a phone number. You can call it right now and leave a voicemail for us. The number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. When you call in, you got three minutes. Give yourself a cool nickname and let us know if we can use your name and message on the air if you don't want to do that maybe you want to send some links and attachment whatever why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com 
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts, the medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.